0: welcome to as we eat where we explore the intersection of food family history and culture
1: we think there's something magical that happens when people get together and share food conversations seem to happen a little more naturally we talk about our commonalities and our differences we share stories memories and recipes
0: We'll use food to take a journey that explores our human experience, share fun facts, and some that aren't so fun, and how food connects and defines us.
1: So if you've ever eaten, prepared, or shared food, then this podcast probably has something for you.
0: Hi, Leigh. Hey, Kim. How are you? I'm doing really great. How are you doing? I'm doing good, too. Do you want to talk about comfort food? Let's talk about comfort food.
1: Let's have the comfort
0: of talking about comfort food. Exactly. What do you know about comfort food?
1: The thing about comfort food for me is that when I start to think about it, I obviously always just start to think right away about the stuff that I like to eat when I want to be comforted. And that's usually something gooey, chocolatey, maybe some cheese. I love myself some box mac and cheese. (laughs) with hot sauce. I would like you to tell me what you know about comfort food.
0: I can tell you a lot about comfort food. What's interesting is everything that you just talked about really didn't come about until the 1980s. Really? Yeah. The first time that comfort food as a dialogue can be traced back here in the States at any rate was in the 60s. And when they were talking about comfort food in the 60s, they were talking about consumer psychology. When you read articles about comfort food at that time, there was lots of reference to overeating due to stress, diets, mm-hmm. willpower, eating as a compulsion. It wasn't until the 1980s when we started to kind of turn that dialogue around a little bit and start talking about comfort food from a nostalgic perspective. There was a gal, Judith Olney, and she's an author. She has a book out that's called Comfort Food. And in that book, she talks about comfort food being evocative. It's about nostalgia. It's about how food comforts us and not necessarily how we used food from a a perspective of stress and overeating, and overindulgence, which kind of flipped that whole dialogue on its head. It was the 1980s that comfort food became a culinary genre. Until Mm -hmm. then, it was more psychological and less culinary. The thing that she talked about was that when you talk about comfort food, that it was rich, and it was thick, and it was golden, and it was speckled, and it was juicy. And so the things that you said when I (laughs) asked you, what do you know about comfort food? That's, that goes back to the eighties, that whole idea that comfort food really brought up this nostalgic aspect and not necessarily this psychological conversation that people were having from the 1960s to the 1980s. And the other thing that was really interesting to me, and one of the things that you said was mac and cheese. When she was asking people about comfort food, so many of them talked about those starches, the pasta and the rice and potatoes are things that have kept civilization alive for a very long time. It moves back into that association as a child with these things that, you know, not knowing at that point in your life that. Maybe mom and dad didn't have enough to do all of the fancy schmancy stuff. Right. Those starches were the fillers to uh, those other nice things that they could afford just a little bit of. That was really super interesting to me when I ran across that component of comfort food.
1: I have so many thoughts about comfort
0: food.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So many things to talk about. I made a couple of notes. I did did a fair amount of reading. This is, is such an enormous topic because on one hand, the notion of comfort food is so pervasive. I think that if you were to talk to anybody in any culture today, what's your favorite comfort food? They would have an answer. I don't think that this is true necessarily, though, if we had gone back in time to say the 1900s, great grandparent era, perhaps, or great, great grandparents they would probably not really have an answer for that because food is food. Food is to nurture you, to feel you. It it might not necessarily be something that you associate with comfort or having an emotional attachment to. Obviously today that's very different. And I think that at least for the foreseeable future, we're going to see comfort food still be a very big part of what we think about when we talk about food. But the thing that I thought really struck me that I really have been trying to dig into, and I don't have a final answer on this, but it's that it's as a, as a complex thought for me, it brings up two things. One being that we are living in a manner that requires comfort on a pretty regular basis. There's something about our modern life that is stressing us out. (laughs) I don't think I'm saying anything that's a big surprise to anybody and that we are, Consistently turning to food and food items that we de- deem as comfort foods in order to either reward us for successfully living in a stressful modern way hmm. or as consolation for not living successfully in a modern way.
0: One of the things I thought was really really interesting about what you were saying is that if we asked our grandparents or our great-grandparents what comfort food was, I think they would probably... Their eyebrows would sink a little (laughs) bit and kind of that confused look on their face. One of the things that Judith Olney talked about was that comfort foods have no social pretense and they're oftentimes Mm -hmm. related back to old fashioned and simple. Looking at my grandma's recipe box, the recipes were still very simple. They were chili, they were soups, they were ribs, they were things that didn't move into that social pretense kind of
1: food. So this is the thing where I've been kind of germinating on this idea. When I'm struck with a curiosity, part of my process is to talk about it. So I like to pull people and kind of see, well, what do you think about this topic? And that kind of helps me locate where I fall into that bigger picture. So I did ask a couple of friends, what qualifies a food for you as comfort versus just an average meal. Where does that line come in comfort food? So I, I started to ask folks, you know, about this difference between comfort food and regular food. Some of them described just types of food that they consider to be comfort foods. Carby, gooey, creamy came up the most. Yeah. So things like buttery, milky. I did notice, obviously, that seems to be a lot of butter, a lot of milk. And that made me wonder whether it stemmed from a heightened availability of milk and cream in our recipes and our food. I also wondered, and this is relevant to the uh, conversation that we had about baking powder for our recipe box roulette on tuna pie with cheesy... With cheese roll crust. (laughs) (laughs) Cheese roll crust. I'll never get that right. (laughs) we, We talked about baking powder and we talked about that concept of pure food. And foods that are nourishing and good for you, that help build muscle, that help build our well-being, does some of that connotation of milk and eggs and cream and butter and like farmy goodness, does that actually lend itself to this idea of what a comfort food is? Because when we talk about comfort food, we don't tend to talk about celery. We don't tend to talk about broccoli, although some people might with cheese, <laughs> and then we're back to the cheese thing. And when folks were describing to me the types of food that they found were comforting, that was what, what I got back was a lot of that. I also got back some responses about the sensation of food. Mm. So things that felt good it's in the body, particularly foods for sore throats. And so somebody talked about eating skin on mashed potatoes because she had a lot of throat irritation as a child and that feeling of, on where you got a little bit of texture to it more than a truly whipped potato she remembers that feeling good or ice cream on a sore throat an editor of gastronomica the journal for food studies out of university of california talked about eating tapioca pudding because she liked the sensation of tapioca pearls popping between her teeth so texture plays a lot into this as well for some folks But the thing I think that maybe struck me the most, and this comes from my sister-in-law, she started talking about food morality. And this is an enormous topic for me, and I can talk ad infinitum about it. So you're going to have to help me stay in the lines here. And I'm quoting her on this one. Comfort food has to be indulgent food or naughty food. and needs to come in portions that ideally are more than can be finished. And this really struck me because I think that abundance is something that is a major factor in comfort food as well. It's the idea that you have more than enough, but I found it really compelling that she was talking about naughty foods because I don't think most of us have a virtuous comfort food. The whole notion about food having a moral value right. is just really fascinating. Yeah. And you see it everywhere. We're, we're, we, are, we are rife with it. You know, Celery, broccoli, salads, these are virtuous foods. You're allowed to eat them in any quantity you want because they can't possibly be bad for you. Chocolate cake or brownies or donuts. <laughs> I have so many stories about people saying, oh, those evil donuts, as if the donut conveyed some sort of mystical quality that it had a self-awareness about being <laughs> evil <laughs> right? or bad for you, That and that you had to resist this temptation a donut's just a donut. And so I found that really curious that she had picked up on the fact that she liked to feel a little bit guilty about what she was eating, ironically, in order for it to provide comfort.
0: As you were talking about that, I was thinking about the fact that the phrase comfort food was initially instituted in the 60s. And we were talking about the overindulgence of it. And the willpower and the guilt and Mm -hmm. dieting that there's still that underlying part of the 60s that's within what comfort food has morphed into. What's also interesting, you talked about the creaminess and one of the things that in the Americas anyway, in the United States, there are three things that constitute a comfort food, smooth and creamy, Mm -hmm. easy to digest Mm -hmm. carb intensive, which creates the energy. And then those fond memories from childhood. Yeah. Right. But if you go back to like my dad living on the farm, milk and cream were certainly not indulgent. My grandma has a cream puff recipe and my aunt says that she made cream puffs all the time. And when we think of cream puffs, we think Mm -hmm. of those indulgences, right? But it was a way to use what they had on the farm. So it wasn't anything that was indulgent. It was a way to serve the products that they had and not let them go to waste. Absolutely. That was really interesting to hear you talk about your sister-in-law specifically that they were naughty foods.
1: And those are her words, indulgent food or naughty food. This is actually a concept that I've run into before, where people give a moral imperative to the food that they're eating. It's true that food is more than just nourishment. All of our conversations are predicated on this idea that food is more than just fuel for the body. What we eat and how we eat and who we eat with all come together to form a, a really unique personal and cultural experience. And that's obviously has been true with comfort food for for most of us. You know, you mentioned memory, and I kind of left off the fact that people talked about how comfort food evokes memories. Saying things like, oh, it takes me back to happier time or an, or an older time where things were more simple. You talk about the things I ate as a child and my mom's mac and cheese recipe. These are very specific memories. But I wonder at the foods that they are actually remembering Or is it the idea of the food? So are they remembering the food itself or are they remembering the experience of eating at a table with their family? You know, in the case of the the friend who talked about eating her mom's mac and cheese, and I happen to know that her mom has passed away and that she misses her quite a bit. I'm wondering whether that food is actually evoking that memory of, of the family being together at a time When the family perhaps wasn't stressed, there hadn't been death in the family yet. And so it's a way of actually remembering her mom more so than it's remembering the the literal macaroni and cheese dish.
0: Right, right. Well, I I would go back to what Judith only said. Comforting food above all is an evocative food. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it evokes that memory of being together as a family it evokes the simplicity, maybe, that some people had before becoming an adult, certainly. Absolutely. That's a <laughs> traumatic experience in and of itself. It, it is. I don't know who decided that we all needed to adult. but
1: <laughs> me, me neither. <laughs> and the huge rush I was in to be one. Oh, my right? gosh. Oh, I think, I think of all the things that childhood that I missed out on <laughs> just because I wanted to be an adult. I know. They they got to do all the cool stuff, yeah. Or they could eat ice cream for dinner.
0: Well, uh, I would adult for that being able (laughs) to eat popcorn and (laughs) ice cream for dinner. Yeah, yeah, that that's true. That's the rest of it.
1: Me, yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's that's a big one. Not so. You know, you do mention something that made me think. uh, This is something that I've also been curious about and tracking for some time, and it's the idea of effective conditioning. So this in psychology is that idea that you make associations between diverse things that may not actually have a correlation in real life. This is really useful for products that don't offer a tangible value. So I, I mean, I remember all the awesome perfume ads from the 80s for like Calvin Klein's obsession that was full of these crazy esoteric images. They were trying so hard to Help the consumer understand what wearing the perfume might mean for an individual. Now, we very few of us are going to go twirling around and fainting on stairs. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember that obsession? Dad? I loved it. It was it was crazy. It it meant absolutely nothing. It was just a series of just really beautiful, luscious images, and it was groundbreaking at the time. But I've definitely seen it rolling out over in food. Uh, Especially foods that don't offer an immediate substantial nutritional value. So things like desserts, things like soft drinks, that sure, they could be part of our diet, but they're not actually lending us vitamins, minerals, (laughs) or or like essential amino acids. So like Dove Chocolate has inspirational messages on the inside of their candy wrappers. So every time you unwrap one, you get a different message. So you get diversity, but then you also get this, your hair looks great today. Kind of, I call this food is best friend kind of advertising. I noticed the other day my Diet Dr. Pepper had, you deserve this printed on the lip of the can. I'm not so sure I did, but I appreciate Diet Dr. Pepper trying to encourage me. And then Coca-Cola notably had a happiness factory marketing campaign that was extremely successful for them. And that was a specific campaign that sought to build a connection between the product itself, so Coca-Cola, and then the feelings of optimism and joy of living. Two concepts that might not easily have come to mind about Coca-Cola, but obviously this was their effort to induce a a positive brand awareness, but also to try to instill that sense that this food or beverage that you were consuming was going to somehow substantially add value to your well-being
0: or teach a world to sing and live in perfect harmony Mm -hmm. that is not something i even considered when i was researching comfort foods but it's true and i have to say because i grew up in that time i loved that campaign and if i see that campaign it still makes my heart do that little twingy thing and kind of makes me a little bit misty in the eyes because yeah, I would love that. And if it meant drinking a Coca-Cola, then I'm all for it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
1: Advertising can be so incredibly potent in ways that we don't even really register. That's as intended. It was so overt for me with the Diet Dr. Pepper, <laughs> you deserve this. Because it was such an equilateral statement. Hmm. It was intended for anybody who picked up that can without any knowledge of the person, the individual, or any or really any regard for what their exact circumstances were going through. It was designed to fully elicit buy-in, right? To 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 engender that sense of comradeship that you and that can. You were going to beat the odds together. <laughs> That's kind of what I mean by food is best friend. It seems like some of our products or some of our foods are doing their best to fill an emotional need that we have. Both of us, I believe, read the New York Times article early in May um, 2020 about how makers of product lines that we tend to think of as comfort foods. So like Campbell's Soup or Mm -hmm. Chef Boyardee Pasta, how companies that make those items are actually seeing a resurgence in consumer use of them because folks are looking for a little break from what's going on in the world.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right. There's that evocativeness, right? We want to evoke a simpler time. We want to evoke a more stable time. And Mm -hmm. those types of foods provide that to us.
1: Absolutely. Especially if you have any insecurity at all about food production, food availability, you know, those shelf-stable items, which these are largely all shelf-stable. It's a little counterintuitive because you'd think that you would you would leave the shelf-stable stuff alone to the point when you're going to need it. But from personal experience, I mean, I went straight for every single comfort food I've ever known in my entire life. And that list is really long. <laughs> So I brought home Top Ramen. I brought home Kraft Mac and Cheese. I brought home Chef Boyardee ravioli. I went brand specific. It wasn't just that I wanted to eat ramen. I wanted to eat Top Ramen, which I remember from my childhood and college and early adult years. And
0: everything else. Yeah. No, you know what? That is really interesting, too. And the the brand specific, because I know when I want tomato soup. Yeah, I want Campbell's tomato soup. Do I know that there are brands that use different Better? Products? Of course I do. But Absolutely. that is not what I'm looking for at that point in time. I want that familiarity. I want to be able for that to transport me back to a time when I felt like things were great.
1: Yeah. He felt soothed and, 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 and just, and that act of even returning to that, of attempting to return to that time, is probably soothing in and of itself.
0: Exactly. And you know, that's a good point because I think a lot of the times when I had tomato soup, I wasn't feeling well. It was something that my mom gave me when I was sick. I was being really taken care of. Even though I wasn't feeling well, I was being taken care of.
1: It's funny how sometimes you have to be so specific about.
0: This has to be made this way, you know,
1: exactly this way with this added in. There's some jellies that no matter how old I am, and I've stopped taking aspirin like this. My mom used to crush aspirin and mix it with jelly.
0: Oh, see, my mom used to, it was two spoons and she would put the aspirin in the two spoons and she would use one spoon to crush it and then a little bit of sugar and some water. That's how it was. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mine was with jelly.
1: She crushed it, and then I would get a little bit, a spoonful of jelly or a spoonful of honey with the aspirin. But there's some jellies, like grape jelly. My husband swears by it for peanut butter and jelly. For him, that's childhood. You ate peanut butter and grape jelly sandwiches. To me, grape jelly tastes like being sick. So when I have grape jelly, or even when I smell grape jelly, it immediately reminds me of being sick, and my mom trying to give me aspirin.
0: This brings up a good point. Is there an intentional component to comfort food
1: talk about that a little bit more i
0: think that when you talk about comfort food you have to talk about intentionality because yeah. there was you know like your mother there was an intention for you to be able to get that aspirin down right there was an intention for my mother when she made the tomato soup to comfort me yeah I know when I ask for a specific food because I have had a wonky day, there's an intention that I want this food yeah. to make me feel better. Yeah.
1: And in this vein, I have some familiarity. This this is striking a chord with me in terms of emotional eating. So I am one hundred percent an emotional eater. A lot of a lot of what's driven me in, in, in terms of meal planning and, and Mealtimes has been that sense of emotional eating. And a lot of the people who chimed in with me about comfort foods talked about emotional eating as a side thing, like, oh, I I eat emotionally. So sometimes my comfort food depends on how I'm feeling at the time. I mean, that's absolutely true for me. I've had therapists and nutritionists over my life try to encourage me to think in a gray zone. I can be a bit of a black and white thinker. (laughs) Um, so their thought was, if you're going to go to a popular burger place that offers burgers and milkshakes, have salad with your burger instead of fries. You know, just sort of like try to be in that gray zone. Like, but if I'm there and if I'm in a mood, I want my burger and fries and my milkshake. And
0: also, it's. They're called burgers and fries for a reason because oh, no. they go together, right? right. So
1: burger I, I, and salad doesn't quite roll off the tongue I, I, the same I way. I just
0: don't know how you can even. I think that that was malarkey. <laughs> just I pure malarkey. Where, I uh, get where they
1: were coming from, but yeah, uh,
0: I well, I understand that, but that that's not where you introduce salad. You don't introduce <laughs> salad to a burger because it doesn't work.
1: No, not you really. Salad you really do need fries. Di- yeah. You need the fries. Yeah. Frankly.
0: And that's also one of those I don't know. I'm feeling guilty. I really should have salad with my burger. but Oh, yeah. That's not why I came here. <coughs> I came for a burger and fries and a shake. Exactly.
1: And I I guess I guess there are those people out there who are like, well, I'm having a burger. I guess I'll have a salad with that. I know they exist. I'm not one of them. I've never been. I've never been that person who's been fabulous about like, I had such a had such a heavy breakfast. I'm going to eat a light dinner. No, (laughs) I can eat what I want. Damn it! That was why I rushed into adulthood so I could eat what I want. But uh, not really, not solely. My mom's cringing right now. No, I mean intention. You know, I. I don't know if we want to go. I I, I have a history with binge eating, um, a clinical history with binge eating, pretty much. I have had an eating disorder probably most of my, well, definitely most of my adult life and probably starting sometime in my teenage years, Uh, notably binge
0: eating disorder, um, compulsive overeating. So um, what were you trying to solve by that? Do you think?
1: In a real nutshell, a lot of anxiety about being a woman in a modern world and I know that sounds glib and very vague, and it is um but it's 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 not always easy to be a girl and trying to have a sense of identity and and not knowing how to figure that out um Kind of hoping that there was a manual, but there wasn't one. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, just trying to sort it all out, and and really effectively for me, binging disorder encapsulates a lot of swallowing of emotions in a very obviously in a very figurative way, if not literal. I had a really interesting conversation once with an anorexic. We found an enormous amount of commonality in what we were trying to accomplish, but we were doing it with completely different means. So she was denying food to herself in order to feel, she was saying she, she liked the feeling of being empty, about being clean, about being free from food, but really not food. Right. <laughs> Food's just a stand-in. Where I was, I, I liked the feeling of being full. That made me feel being grounded. So for both of us, it was a way to escape what we were thinking and feeling about with our behaviors. But I, I do think a lot about food in in that I think some of my interest in food is because for me it became it did become more than just nourishment. Right. There is so much neuroscience about food and and its effect on the mind, on the brain and on the mind. Sodium, for example, can be very numbing. I think that's why we like salty food so much. It's a, it definitely takes the edge off, much like a drink would. Curry spices actually have proven to have a positive effect. You get a buzz off the heat Mm -hmm. in peppers. That will give you a buzz. That will give you a little bit of a high. Cardamom does that for me. I love cardamom coffees and things because I'll actually get a little extra jolt out of them. Citrus also makes me happy.
0: So come for food. Yeah. So the thing that I think (laughs) is super, super interesting about our conversation about comfort food is that I started talking about comfort food from the psychology perspective. And we've actually ended with the psychology perspective of it.
1: You know, that when you were talking about that article from the sixties, this is something that's still, still in our news 40 years later, 50 years later, not great at math. It's still something we talk about. Like, it's still a concern. The idea, we still know, we still have this sense that when you're unhappy, when you're sad, when you're fearful, when you're anxious, you're driven to find a mechanism for relief.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Comfort food, at least for the last 40 to 50 years, has been a reliable, maybe not healthy, but a reliable outlet for that.
0: I think I'm going to go make some chocolate chip cookies. Ooh, that sounds good. But (laughs) we should probably talk about what's happening on the episode for next week. Oh, yes, please. We're going to talk about grape leaves. Stuffed grape leaves specifically. Yes, we are. We visited with Samantha, and she made stuffed grape leaves for us. And it was an emotional journey. It was a delicious journey. And we can't Indeed. wait to to share it with you guys.
1: Absolutely. So,
0: thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. I can't wait to hear about chocolate chip cookies.
1: They're not homemade. Oh, there's <laughs> something special about them. <laughs> this is a quarantine supply. So this is a, a tub of chocolate chip cookie dough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's all. ba
0: ba da ba ba ba
1: ba 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 For more information about today's episode, check out our website at asweeat.com. Follow us on Instagram at asweeat and join our new As We Eat community on Facebook.
0: So you don't miss an episode, subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And it would make us super happy if you would share this with your friend or several friends and review it and rate it. Five stars, please.
1: And one more thing, we'll be publishing the as we eat journal a companion publication to the podcast will take you behind the scenes dig deeper into food lore and history share recipes and amazing photos and so much more make sure to sign up on the website for updates
0: and another thing we also have a patreon page where you can support us by becoming a patron we've created an exclusive podcast for our patrons called recipe box roulette we think you're gonna love it
1: You've been listening to As We Eat, a multimedia project recorded and produced by
0: Leigh Olson and Kim Baker. Obviously.